In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at the Sirah Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, inshallah, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register or for more info. Okay, bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi the prophetic biography. Where we are right now, what we're studying right now, because I'm going to be picking up from where we left off, but I'd like to kind of bring everybody up to speed where we are. We are in the ninth year of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. What does that exactly mean? What that means is the fact that the Meccan period has passed, 13 years of trial and tribulation. And then there have been nine years of the Prophet ﷺ residing in the city of Medina. Now a lot of that, the early part of it, the first five, six years of it, were also filled with a lot of conflict and a lot of danger and a lot of uncertainty. Uncertainty in the sense that there were a lot of enemies out to get them. And the, the Muslim community has gone through a lot and they've survived through a lot and they've been able to get to this particular point now where the Treaty of Hudaybiyah happened. After that, they went and they performed Umrah. They were able to establish peaceful alliances with not only the people in Mecca, but the Bedouin tribes around the city of Medina. That proceeded forward by eventually the people of Mecca violating the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. They violated the treaty. And when they did that, the Prophet ﷺ held them accountable because it wasn't just about, you know, looking for an excuse to attack them, but rather it was more so about the fact that the way they violated the treaty was that they massacred another tribe that was included within the treaty. And the Prophet ﷺ stood up for the rights of those people and defended their rights. Um, but nevertheless, the conquest of Mecca has happened. And what that means is the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims peacefully enter Mecca and the city of Mecca basically enters into the fold of Islam. And now Mecca is basically part of the Muslim land. Um, and after that point, the Prophet ﷺ returns back to the city of Medina. They settle down in Medina. Things seem to be taking a turn for the better all the way up from Khaybar, all the way down to the city of Mecca. Every, it's all basically Muslim area now. There's similarly satellites, Muslim communities in places like uh, Bahrain and Yemen and other places. So mashallah, Islam is flourishing and Islam is growing and the number of Muslims is also increasing. But at this particular time, there's a very you know, um, serious threat. And that serious threat comes from the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire basically, the Prophet ﷺ receives news, he receives intelligence that the Roman Empire is basically sending down an army and it's rumored to be anywhere between 100,000 to 300,000 soldiers. Now that is a huge number even by today's standards, but at that particular time in the world's history, that is an unbelievable number. That is an unfathomable number of soldiers and that's a very scary thought and idea. So the Prophet ﷺ decides you know, to approach this particular threat and make a show of force that we will stand our ground and that we will not be threatened, we will not be bullied. And so the Prophet ﷺ gathers together the Muslims. About 30,000 Muslims gather together and they begin to march towards the north to basically face off against this Roman army that is approaching them or that is rumored to be coming towards them. This is known as the campaign and the expedition of Tabuk. Tabuk. And that is a city all the way to the north. And that's what the event is where we're studying. So what we've talked about so far is how the Prophet ﷺ prepared for the expedition and the campaign of Tabuk. And secondly, what we talked about is the Prophet ﷺ, the Muslims depart, and basically how the journey of Tabuk goes. What we're going to be talking about is two things. 
What we're going to be talking about today is two things. Number one, on their way to Tabuk, as they are going there, 30,000 Muslims under the leadership of the Prophet are marching towards the north, towards the city of Tabuk, to basically potentially face off against a humongous army that outnumbers them anywhere from 3 to 1 to all the way 10 to 1. All right, And they're going there to face off against them and to basically make a strong show of force that we are not going to be bullied, we're not going to be threatened, and we're not going to be pushed around by you. We are going to take a stand and defend ourselves. And so they're marching towards the north. Now what happens as they're marching towards the north, a particular very powerful experience occurs. The Prophet and the Muslims happen by a place. And the place was known by a lot of people at that particular time as Al-Hijr. Al-Hijr. Now, what, what was this place? This was the place where a very ancient people resided. And these ancient people who resided there were called Thamud. It was the people of Thamud. Now, the Qur'an talks about the people of Thamud many, many different places. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a quick sidebar. I'm going to explain the story of the people of Thamud. Ahlu Thamud. Qawmu Thamud. I'm going to explain their story that from the Qur'anic narrative so that we understand exactly what happened with these people and why is this such a significant place. And when they come there, we see that the Prophet ﷺ makes a really big deal about that place. He's very serious and he makes a very big deal about that place. Why is it such a big deal and why is his tone so serious? Right? So to understand that, let me quickly share with you what transpired with the people of Thamud. Who are these people? What happened with them? What does the Qur'an tell us about them? So the Qur'an tells us that the people of Thamud were an ancient people. And they were actually a very large, a very powerful tribe who resided in Arabia. These are one of the few ancient peoples that the Qur'an tells us about that were actually from the Arab lands. They were Arab people. They were, you know, they were from that region. Uh, a lot of times the different narratives that we hear about like Ibrahim alayhi salam and Musa alayhi salam and you know a lot of Nuh alayhi salam these were not these these people were not necessarily from that Arabian peninsula that region but the people of Thamud were from that region so this was a very large and a very powerful tribe where they're placed time wise Allah knows best that's something the Quran does not talk about because the Quran doesn't get into those particular details the Quran more so wants us to pay attention to the actual story and the lessons therein. Alright? So this was a very large, powerful tribe that did not believe in God. They worshipped the idols and they did not believe in God. Number two, the second fact about them. They were people who were very gifted by, by Allah. How were they gifted? That... <clears throat> Their experience, there are some narrations that talk about their history, that they had a lot of trouble kind of like living in that area because they used to build and construct homes. It was a desert. It was a mountainous region. Strong winds used to blow through there. And so what would happen is that their homes would become damaged repeatedly. And it was also very hot. And so it was very difficult for them to live there. So eventually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted them the gift. They were very talented and what they started doing was they started carving out homes within the mountains. Now there's, this is a place where some historians and scholars of the Qur'an, they differ. They split up into two different opinions. All right? Some scholars are of the position that their gift was basically what we would consider in the realm of like architecture or engineering. All right, they were just very gifted engineers. And they, they, they were able to construct tools, and they were able to carve out homes within these mountains, number one. Some others say, no, no, it was actually something a little bit more remarkable than that. And there's evidence of this within the Qur'an as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says they would carve out homes within their mountains for themselves very, very easily. Almost like it was a game, like with their bare hands. And this is something Allah tells us about Dawood, the Prophet David, the Prophet Dawood where Allah says, وَأَلَنَّا لَهُ الْحَدِيدِ we made, we made iron soft in his hands. It was like a miracle. Dawud could take iron in his hands and just mold it with his bare hands. It was a miracle. So there is evidence in the Qur'an of the fact that no, it wasn't just the fact that they were just very gifted engineers where they figured out a way to carve homes within mountains. No, it was actually something quite miraculous where with their bare hands they could 
They could move rocks. They could move stones. They could completely like carve out a hole inside of a mountain with just their bare hands. Allah gave them that gift. And that's completely possible. Wallahu ta'ala alam. Allah knows best. Nevertheless, these people carved out homes within these mountains. So now they're a very powerful, a very strong, a very large tribe of people. They're blessed by Allah. On top of that, they have this great gift that Allah has given them where they carve mountains, they carve out homes within their mountains. And those homes are actually preserved till today. Those places are carved within the mountains. They're still there till today and you can go there and see it. And it's actually quite remarkable. So, but the problem was that they didn't believe in Allah. They worshipped idols and they disbelieved in Allah. And because of that, they eventually deteriorated into becoming a very kind of um, evil people. They had a lot of crime and a lot of different sins that had become very prevalent in their community. So as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would do, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deployed a prophet to them. One of the people who, one of the young men who grew up amongst the people, his name was Salih. His name was Salih. وَإِلَى ثَمُودَ أَخَاهُمْ صَالِحًا That we sent to the people of Thamud their brother Salih. So this young man who grew up amongst them named Salih, who was a remarkable young man. Nobody, you know, he had admirable character. He had never done anything bad or wrong. He had never lied. He was a very, very, you know, admirable man from the community. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him prophethood. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him revelation and made him a prophet. And then gave him a mission. And the mission was, now go and preach to your people. Talk to your people. Tell them to change their ways. Tell them, tell them to believe in Allah. Tell them to be grateful for the blessings Allah has given to them. He came with them. He came to them with the prophetic message. As we see, many prophets came to their people. This is where the story takes a turn. Not only did they not believe in him, but they decided to make a mockery of him. They started to mock him and they started to make fun of him. And Allah talks about this in the Quran. Every single time we sent a messenger to some of these people, they would always make a mockery and they would make fun of the messenger of the Prophet. So they decided to make a game of this. They said, um, Would you be willing to prove to us that you're a Prophet? He said, I can definitely try. So they said, Okay, we want a miracle. He said, I'll pray to Allah, what would you like? And so they went on to say that they were just kind of gathered there, they were having a conversation. So they pointed at a mountain and they said, we want a camel to come out from that mountain, naqa. Naqa is not just a camel, but it's like a she-camel. All right. So we want the she-camel to come out of that mountain. It's a very strange, bizarre idea. Right? It's almost kind of like something living to come out of something that's not living. But on top of that, there was almost like an element of mockery in it. Like come up with the most craziest idea that you can. Right? I want a camel to just come out of this mountain. He said, are you sure? They said, we're sure. The Quran talks about this. So he prayed to Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made a camel come out from the mountain. هَذِهِ نَاقَةُ اللَّهِ لَكُمْ This is the she-camel brought forth for you by God. Then the story goes forward. They say, well, we want proof to see whether it's actually a real creature or not. So we want the she-camel to give birth. We want the she-camel to give birth, to prove that it's real, it's living. So he makes dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the she-camel gives birth. Now, there's this magnificent, and it was actually said to be quite huge. There's this magnificent, huge creature, and actually some of the companions of the Prophet ﷺ, they talked about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ pointed to the place in the mountain where he said, this is where the she-camel came out from. And they said, we could see like there was almost like a crack in the mountain. That's where the mountain had opened up and the she-camel had walked out. And then the she-camel gave birth to, a, to, to offspring, to a, to a baby camel. Now that these two camels were here, the Prophet Salih said to them, Look, the command from God is, Alright? So do not touch it. Do not mess with this animal. Do not mess with this creature. Do not violate this creature, number one. And number two, this 
camel. So this camel was so huge that when it would go to the watering hole, it would basically kind of take over the watering hole and it would drink all the water and it would eat an abundance of food. And so the people started getting kind of nervous by saying that, look, it drinks all this water and it eats all this food and you're telling us not to touch it, not to mess with it. We don't know what to do. We don't know what we're supposed to do. So finally he said, okay, Allah has made the rule that the she camel will drink and eat one day and take a day off and that day off will be the day that you will go and you can use the water and the food and things like that. And you can graze your animals on that day. And subhanAllah, not only just this arrangement was made, but there was a miracle within it. The Qur'an talks about the fact that the day the she-camel would go and drink from the water, it would finish up all the water because it was this huge animal. When it would go and graze, it would eat up all the grass in the area. But then what would happen is when they would go to sleep at night, when they would wake up in the morning, they would find that all the grass had regrown overnight and the water was completely full again overnight. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would miraculously replenish all the supplies. So they had what they needed. But this continued on. But the problem was that they still didn't believe in Allah. Even though they witnessed this miracle. And this evil within them continued. So what did they end up doing? Some evil people got together amongst them. That there were these nine very evil people that it talks about. There were these nine like almost gangsters in the, in the tribe and they were problematic people. They always made trouble and they were always the source of all the trouble. They got together and they said, we should take out this camel. We should take out this camel, right? Nobody bosses us around. Nobody tells us what to do. Let's take out this camel. They ended up attacking the camel and they killed the camel and its offspring. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that that led to their demise and their downfall. What ended up happening when the Prophet Salih saw this, he said, what did you do? You just invited the punishment from God. Because it's such a direct disrespect and defiance and disobedience to Allah. And what ended up happening was, as the Quran tells us, a terrible punishment came upon them. For three days, he told them that just retreat within your homes and live. And for those three days, it's as if everyone got sick and ill. And then finally on the third day, the Qur'an talks about this, that this loud scream, the Qur'an uses the word sayha, which is a scream almost, but it can also be translated as an explosion. This loud blast or explosion occurred, which basically just killed everyone. It killed everyone, it finished them all off. And they were all done. Okay, and in fact, so, so this is that place where these people used to reside. And this is the place where those people, they defied God. And where they killed this miracle that was given to them by Allah. And they eventually died there, they were destroyed there. So this is that place, Al-Hijr. So now going back to the story that we were talking about. The Prophet Muhammad wasallam, along with 30,000 of his companions, they are marching towards the north to the city of Tabuk. And as they're marching north, they pass by the place where this occurred. So when they got there, the narrations they tell us, the historical events, the Sahaba who were there, the companions who were there, they tell us that when they arrived there, there was you know, a well. There were some wells that were there in the area. And so obviously they had been traveling for a while. They're traveling through the desert. And for the record, this expedition of Tabuk was in the summertime. It was in the summertime. All right. So imagine in Arabia in the summertime. And we can imagine that very well in Texas, right? The summertime. It was very hot, scorching heat. Okay, and it was actually said to be one of the most severe summers they had experienced. So obviously everyone's really tired and fatigued and thirsty and exhausted and, you know, sweaty and, right? So everyone's really beat down by the journey and by the circumstances. So when they arrive there and they see some wells, a bunch of people who were there in the Muslim army who were marching, they ran up to the wells and they started getting water and they started drinking water and they started filling up their water, you know, uh, water sacks, like their, their, their water canisters. And they started, you know, um, you know, washing themselves. And then some of them also started to take some of the water to start cooking food with it and this and that. And when the Prophet ﷺ saw this, the Prophet ﷺ told them that absolutely no. He said, لا تشربوا من ماءها شيئا. 
Do not drink anything from this water. If you filled up your water socks, dump all that water out. Do not make wudu from this water for the sake of the prayer. Don't do wudu from this water. That if you've taken some of the water and you've mixed it up, they used to do this thing where they would have dry, like kind of like powder that used to be crushed up like wheat and barley and oats and dates, and they would kind of crush it up and make like a powder out of it. So think of almost kind of like, like protein powder, right? So they used to carry this powder with them for travel. So whenever they would come across water, they would put water into it, mix it up, and then they would drink it. And that was a form of nourishment and sustenance. So he said, if you've done, if you mix some of your mix into the water, personally do not drink it, do not consume it, but serve it to the animals. Give it to the animals for them. And if you've started to cook some food in that water, dump that water out and do not eat anything of that. The Prophet said, do not do that. This is a very, very, you know, um, it's almost like a cursed place. And I know that that idea, that notion can be a bit strange. How can a place be cursed? But we understand just like a place can be blessed, a place can be cursed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Subhanallah, asra bi abdihi laylam min al masjid al harami ila al masjid al aqsa aladhi barakna hawlahu. When Allah talks about Masjid Aqsa, Jerusalem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the fact that we have blessed that region and that area. We know Makkah and Medina are blessed sacred regions, right? The places of Mina, Muzdalifa, Arafah, where we perform the Hajj, those are blessed lands. Okay, so the Prophet ﷺ said, this isn't a bad place, this is a cursed place, something terrible happened here, do not consume anything from here. Furthermore, the Prophet ﷺ, some of the Sahaba were kind of curious, and they said, can we go, they could see in the mountains that these, those places that were carved out within the mountains, they said, can we go exploring there? The Prophet ﷺ said, لا تدخلوا مساكن الذي ظلموا أنفسهم Do not go into their homes. Because these are people who, who, who ruin themselves. They disobey God and they ruin themselves. So don't go in there. Don't be a tourist. Don't be a tourist. Right? There's a place to be a tourist. There's a time to be a tourist. Right? But th- there's some places where we also have to have a level of seriousness. Right? When we go to Makkah, Medina, we don't act like tourists. We shouldn't act like tourists. Right? Like, ooh, ah. It's not, it's not Disneyland. It's Makkah and Medina. Right? It's the Haramain. Right? You have to have a level of seriousness there. It's a spiritual place. You're there to worship. You're there to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, and respect the place. So similarly, the Prophet is saying, you can't just all constantly be in tourist mode, but you also have to have a level of, a level of reflection and seriousness about where you are. The Prophet said, إِلَّا أَن تَكُونُوا بَاكِينَا أَن يُصِيبَكُمْ مِثْلَ مَا أَصَابَهُمْ Unless you approach this place very mindful and fearful of the punishment of God and asking Allah to protect you from the punishment that befell these people. Like some spiritual serious needs to be there. And this is the balance in the life of the Prophet ﷺ that very honestly we struggle with a lot today. Right? I always tell you know, people, I always tell the students, one extreme breeds the other. So either we have this complete lack of seriousness, we're just we're constantly in tourist mode, we're taking pictures of everything and Snapchatting everything in sight, Okay, or there's almost like this attitude of like over seriousness that's not practical. You can't live life like that. Like, aren't you ever going to like enjoy yourself? But there is a middle ground. There's times and places where you enjoy yourself. The Prophet would sometimes on these journeys pass through valleys and gardens and he used to stop and drink the water and look at the trees and listen to the birds chirping in the trees. And, you know, he used to enjoy the place and he'd say, look how beautiful this place is. There were moments like that. There were moments where they were traveling and the Prophet ﷺ, they would be up on a mountain or a hill and the Prophet ﷺ would stop and he would kind of, you know, appreciate the scene. And he would say, look how beautiful the creation of Allah is. Right? So there were moments like that. But there have to also be moments where we have a level of seriousness. And we grasp and we understand kind of where we are and what we're doing there. Right? And so this is that balance the Prophet ﷺ was teaching them and also teaching us. And so after this happened... 
Obviously, the Prophet told them, don't go sightseeing over there, but be mindful and fearful. And the Prophet told them, engage in dua, make dhikr of Allah, ask Allah for forgiveness, ask Allah to protect us from his punishment. And the Prophet himself kind of covered his face with his shawl and continued to make the dua for Allah to forgive them and protect them. And he told them, do not consume any of this water. And he said, let's go, let's move past here. Let's not st- spend a lot of time here. And so they moved on past there and they moved on. When they reached a little bit further, they reached a little bit further, obviously the compa- it was time for prayer, so they needed to stop and make wudu and pray. And also everyone who was traveling was thirsty and tired. So the Prophet ﷺ said, don't worry, we will take care of our needs. We'll provide something. Allah will make some provision for us. And so the Prophet ﷺ, <clears throat> he stopped at a particular place, and when they stopped there, there was, a, there was like a small spring. There was a small spring that was there. But the narration says that the spring was so small and so weak, there was like just a little bit of water that was bubbling out of it. It wasn't like a gushing spring where like a whole stream was coming out from it. Okay, it was just like this little tiny spring and there was almost like water bubbling out of it. And the narration says it almost looked like an egg. So imagine like barely any water pressure where the water is just kind of bubbling out. It, was, it looked like an egg. Okay, that's how little water it was. And when the Prophet when they came and they told the Prophet he said, is there any water in the area? They said, there's a small little spring, but barely any water is coming out from it. The Prophet said, Imam Malik has narrated the story that the Prophet said, well, don't go to the water until I, until I get there. Let me go to that water first. When he reached there to the water, the narration actually says a couple of guys went ahead and tried to like use the water. And when the Prophet showed up, he said, did you guys use the water? They said, yeah. The Prophet said, didn't I tell you not to use the water? They said, yeah. They said, then why did you use the water? They said, oh, I'm sorry. And then that is a lesson as well, that there's always people that don't listen to what you tell them to do, right? But nevertheless, the Prophet went to the water and the narration says, he scooped up the water in his own hands. He made dua for barakah, for blessing. He said, Bismillah. He washed his face and he washed his hands in the water. And he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for blessing. And the sahaba say that as soon as the Prophet ﷺ did that, the water started gushing forth. Creating like an entire pool of water. And then the, and the, all the companions and the sahaba were able to bring their water sacks and fill it up and containers with water. And everyone made wudu and everyone drank water and everyone was able to, you know, make their food and cook their food and, you know, make their little drinks and do all of that. And it was enough water for everyone. This one, the great miracles of the Prophet ﷺ. So this happened at that particular time. There's another couple of stories that are mentioned here that transpired at this particular place. The Prophet ﷺ, when they were passing by the place of Thamud, this place, the ruins of Thamud, the Prophet ﷺ told them the story. He pointed out the sites to them. He said, this is the place in the mountain where the camel came out from. This is the water that they were told, the camel will drink one day and you will drink one day. This is that water right there. And not only that, but the Prophet ﷺ told them the story that when that blast occurred, that killed all of them, one of them was not there. One of them had actually traveled all the way down to Mecca to visit the Kaaba. And he was in the Haram. He was in the sacred sanctuary of the Haram, the Kaaba. So when that blast happened, you know, he, he was away. And secondly, he was within the Haram, the sacred place. But he was amongst the same people. He was a criminal person. And then the Prophet ﷺ told them that as soon as he left the Haram, as soon as he exited the sacred area, he basically fell dead on the spot. The punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala got him there as well. Um, another very interesting thing that happened there was that when they, they, were, they moved away a little bit far from that where they found the spring and of course that's where the water was and they used the water. But then they spent the night there. The Prophet ﷺ told them that look, this is, this is, you know, this is not a really nice place. And secondly, even the people of Thamud, the reason why Allah had given them the gift of being able to carve out homes within the mountains was because of the fact living there was so difficult. It was mountainous, it was rocky, strong winds used to blow through there. So the Prophet ﷺ had told them, listen, everyone try to stay together. No one go out at night. And if you ultimately have to go out at night, which means if you have to use the restroom, 
you have to go out at night, then make sure that you do not go alone. Go in pairs, okay? Two different individuals ended up kind of wandering off at night. One needed to go use the restroom, but he decided to go on his own, and the other one just decided to go sightseeing at night, just to take a walk at night. So he went out on his own. And it's very interesting not listening to the advice of the Prophet ﷺ, not doing what he tells you to do, when he tells you something very directly to do. The one who went out to use the restroom, while he was using the restroom, he fell down because of the wind. He fell down and he ended up injuring himself really badly. He somehow limped back to the camp, and when the Prophet ﷺ saw him, he goes, this is why I told you not to go out on your own. But then the Prophet ﷺ, you know, kind of as we know from the stories of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him and the man was cured. The second individual who kind of went sightseeing, went for a walk, right? <clears throat> he climbed up on one of the nearby hills, the mountains, and a strong wind blew there and it knocked him off the mountain. But he didn't fall completely off a cliff. It just kind of knocked him onto the side of the mountain and he kind of rolled down and he ended up getting injured. <clears throat> and by the time he got up and was able to make it back to the camp, the army had moved on. The army had moved on. They just assumed that he wandered off and maybe he went missing or he died or whatever it was. So the army had moved on. And he somehow slowly limped his way back to Medina. He got to Medina after the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslim army had returned back to Medina. And when he got to Medina, the Prophet ﷺ said, What are you doing? What happened? Where were you? What happened to you? And he told the story. And again, the Prophet ﷺ just simply told him, This is why I told you what I told you. And this is what, I, what happens when you don't listen to what you're told. Right? So a couple of very interesting stories. And, and something very powerful the Prophet ﷺ said. And I want everyone to pay a lot of attention to this. Some, some very profound words, prophetic words. When some of the Sahaba insisted that we want to go, we want to go inside, we want to look, we want to take a tour. It's like us today, like I just want to go take a couple of pictures. Right? The Prophet ﷺ told them that he first of all told Bilal anhu that make the call for prayer. So Bilal made the call for prayer, As-salatu jami'atun. So everyone, the, the Sahaba were the kind of people that if you made the call for prayer, everybody would immediately come together. So everyone got together. Then the Prophet ﷺ said that, Why do you want to go visit the home of these people upon whom God's wrath descended? Why would you want to do that? So one person spoke up and he said, Na'ajabu minhum ya Rasulullah. We're, we're just really fascinated by this. We're fascinated, we're intrigued, we're interested, we're curious. So the Prophet ﷺ said, Would you like me to tell you about something that's even more like bizarre and strange and fascinating than going and seeing their home? That a person from amongst you being given knowledge by God to be able to tell you what happened before you and what's going to happen after you. He's talking about himself. Like you have a messenger amongst you, you have a prophet amongst you telling you what happened before and what will happen afterwards. فَاسْتَقِيمُوا وَسَدِّدُوا So catch yourself. And be, be, you know, be sensible. Be sensible. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَعْبَأُوا بِعَذَابِكُمْ شَيْئًا God does not want to punish you. Because there will come people later on who will just be so heedless and so mindful, mindless, so heedless and mindless that they will not be able to deter the punishment of Allah from them. Don't be like those people. Be mindful, be sensible. Be mindful, be sensible. And recognize each place and each situation. And don't be foolish like this. Don't act like a bunch of tourists. So this was basically this um, place that they saw here. And then, of course, as I mentioned before, that they passed on from here and they proceeded on forward towards the place of Tabuk. Now, the second thing that I wanted to talk about here today, and we'll conclude with this, inshallah, they arrive at the place of Tabuk. So this spot where the ruins of Thamud are, and actually that place is there even till today in Arabia, it's called Mada'in Salih. And today the locals, they refer to it as Mada'in Salih. People don't live there. 
People don't even live around there. It's just this kind of place in the middle of nowhere. But if you're ever in that region or in that area, kind of passing through, you can actually, you can pass through there and you can see it, right? And again, it's important when you do pass by and you kind of see it, it's important to observe the etiquette taught to us by the Prophet Be mindful, be aware, ask Allah for forgiveness, ask Allah for protection, and move right on past the place. Nevertheless, that place is not too far from the city of Tabuk. They arrive in the place of Tabuk. Now when they arrived at the place of Tabuk and they camped there, the Prophet ﷺ said, this is where we will be camping, awaiting the arrival of the army. And then we'll see what happens, we'll see what transpires. The Prophet ﷺ delivered a sermon. He gave a khutbah. He delivered a sermon at this place. And it's a very powerful sermon the Prophet ﷺ gave. And I'd like to share that sermon here. The Sahaba say that the Prophet ﷺ, he sat down, of course this is towards the end of the life of the Prophet ﷺ. Normally a khutbah or a sermon is given standing up. And the Friday khutbah the Prophet ﷺ would give standing up. But he had a stick that he eventually used to kind of lean on. Because he was 62 years old, he was a lot older now. So he used to kind of have this stick, this asa, and he would kind of hold it and lean on it when he would give the sermon for the Friday prayer. But normally now when he would address the people, he used to stand up and address them. But because he was elderly now, he would sit down and kind of speak to the people. So the Sahaba say we were traveling, so his pulpit, his mimbar, his podium was not there. So he sat down and leaned against the tree. And we all gathered around him, all 30,000. We all gathered around him. And the Prophet ﷺ addressed everyone. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Let me tell you about the best of people and the worst of humanity. The best of humanity, the best of people, and the worst of people, the worst of humanity. إِنَّ مِنْ خَيْرِ النَّاسِ رَجُلًا عَمِلَ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ عَلَى ظَهْرِ فَرَسِهِ أَوْ عَلَى ظَهْرِ بَعِيرِهِ أَوْ عَلَى قَدِمَيْهِ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَهَ الْمَوْتُ The best of people is the one who continues to strive in the path of God. Who continues to try to their best to live a life that is pleasing to Allah. Whether that be on the back of a horse, which means in battle, or whether that be on the back of a camel, which means in kind of moving about and taking care of your business. Or on one's feet, which means in your daily lives, living in your town, living in your home. Okay? However it may be, whether you are in battle, whether you're working, whether you're at home, you always try to live a life that is mindful of God and always try to live life that is pleasing to Allah. Do your best to be the best that you can every single day. Until death finally comes. That is the best person. You see how, how he simplified it? You see how he simplified the, the equation? A lot of times we make spirituality such a complicated prospect. We make it so complex, we make it so complicated that it sounds like something so existential, so metaphysical and philosophical. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with it. I don't know if I, I don't even understand what the conversation is about. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I'm not good enough to do it. But the Prophet ﷺ said, no, it's just being the best that you can be. Being honest, being good, being sincere in your everyday life. That's, that's called being a good person. That's the best person. Then the, he said, nasi, The worst kind of person, Rajulan fajiran jari'an, is a person who is sinful, and not just sinful, but somebody who is very blatant. Somebody who is very blatant in how they commit sin. Alright, very blunt and very blatant. Like somebody who doesn't care what Allah wants them to do and just publicly acts out in a way that is defiant to God, in a way that is defiant to Allah and just does it blatantly, disrespectfully. That is the worst kind of person. And then he said, يَقْرَأُ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ this is very scary. Listen to this. يَقْرَأُ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ And this person reads the Qur'an. لَا يَرْعَوِي إِلَىٰ شَيْءٍ مِّنْهُ But does not care to follow anything the Qur'an says. Oh, this person will read the Qur'an. And know the Qur'an. And talk the Qur'an. And speak the Qur'an. And know a lot about the Qur'an. But does not live by any of its values. The Prophet ﷺ said that is the worst kind of person. May Allah protect us all. Then he continued. 
فَحَمِدَ اللَّهَ وَأَثْنَا عَلَيْهِ بِمَا هُوَ أَهْلُهُ Then he praised God and glorified Allah. And then he said, أَيُّهَا النَّاسَ وَبِيْبُوْ أَمَّا بَعْدُوْ As for what follows. فَإِنَّ أَسْتَقَ الْحَدِيثِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ The most truthful speech is the book of God, is the book of Allah, the Qur'an. وَأَوْثَقُ الْعُرَى And it is the strongest thing that you can hold on to. كَلِمَةُ التَّقْوَى that the strongest thing that you can hold on to is the consciousness of Allah. وَخَيْرُ الْمِلَلِي مِلَّةُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ And the best way of life, the best tradition is the tradition of Abraham, the Abrahamic tradition. وَخَيْرَ السُنَنِي سُنَّةُ مُحَمَّدٍ صلى الله عليه وسلم And the best precedent and the best practice is the practice of Muhammad. He's speaking about himself. وَأَشْرَفَ الْحَدِيثِ ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ The most noblest of speech is the remembrance of Allah. وَأَحْسَنَ الْقَصَصِ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ The best stories to reflect upon and to think about are the stories that are in the Qur'an. وَخَيْرُ الْأُمُورِ عَوَازِمُهَا The best actions are the ones that are approached with conviction. وَشَرُ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا And the worst things are the things that are done that are contradictory to the religion. The worst decisions, the worst actions are those things that are contradictory to the religion. وَأَحْسَنُ الْهَدْيِ هَدْيُ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ The best practices are the practices of the Prophets. وَأَشْرَفَ الْمَوْتِ قَتْلُ الشُّهَدَاءِ The best death is the death that comes to you while serving the religion of Allah. وَأَعْمَلُ عُمَاءَ الضَّلَالَةُ بَعْدَ الْهُدَى Wow, he says that the, the worst form of misguidance, the worst form of misguidance is the one that you embrace after you were guided by Allah. Imagine Allah showing you the way, and then you putting that aside, and then going to what's wrong deliberately. He said that's the worst. That is the most, like, just deluded human being. وَخَيْرَ الْأَعْمَالِ مَا نَفَعَ Subhanallah. He says the best actions are the ones that benefit people. The best deeds, even spiritual deeds, are the ones that benefit, make the world a better place. And the best precedent is that which is followed. Like setting forth a good example for others is the best precedent. And the true blindness is the blindness of the heart. The true blindness... Darkness is the darkness of the heart. And the hand that gives is, a better, is better than the hand that receives. Try to always be somebody who gives. Having little that suffices for you in this dunya, in this world. Having a little bit that is sufficient for you is better than having a lot that distracts you. That distracts you from your purpose in life. وَشَرُّ الْمَعْذِرَةِ حِينَ يَحْذُرُ الْمَوْتُ He said that the worst excuses that will be made are the excuses that are made when the angel of death shows up to take your soul. Like that person the Qur'an tells us about who cries, رَبِّ ارْجِعُونَ رَبِّ ارْجِعُونَ Oh Allah, give me another chance. Oh Allah, give me another chance. The Prophet said those are the worst. The most just you know, pathetic excuses of the person who makes excuses when death comes. The worst regret and remorse that anyone will ever experience is the regret and remorse that someone will experience on the day of judgment, on the day of resurrection, because you can't do nothing about it. In this dunya, in this world, while we're still alive, the Prophet said, If you feel regretful and remorseful for your actions, you can correct you can change your course of action. You can make things better. But when you feel regretful and remorseful on the Day of Judgment, there's nothing you can do about it. And the Prophet ﷺ said, what's a terrible, terrible thing is people who come to the Friday prayer at the end of the Friday prayer. Like somebody who just doesn't care. Like the guy who asks you, what time is Jumu'ah? You say 1.30. What time does the prayer start? You say 2 o'clock. He goes, okay, I'll get there at 1.59. Right? The Prophet says, that's bad. Once a week. Once a week you got to show up 
And pardon me, you got to show up and shut up and listen. And that's too much trouble for you? Once a week? Really? So he's saying that's terrible. And there are some people who only engage in the remembrance of God to put on a public display. To put on a public display. But privately, they never remember Allah. They just do it publicly. One of the worst deeds, one of the worst actions a person can have is to be a pathological liar. To just lie all the time. Excuse me. He says that the best type of self-sufficiency is to have the self-sufficiency of the soul. Like, you know, a more simpler translation is kind of like the best type of wealth is to have a wealthy heart. Like the best type of richness is the richness of the soul of the heart. Like be content. Be satisfied. And that's the best blessing. وَخَيْرَ الزَّادِ taqwa. The best thing that you can achieve in this life is the consciousness of Allah. وَرَأْسَ الْحِكْمَةِ مَخَافَةُ اللَّهِ The peak and the pinnacle of wisdom is to be mindful of Allah and to fear Allah. To be humble in front of God is the peak of wisdom. That's a wise, wise person who is humble before Allah. وَخَيْرَ مَا وَقَرَ فِي الْقُلُوبِ الْيَقِينِ The best thing that your heart, the best thing that can take root within your heart is conviction. Belief in Allah, that Allah will answer your prayers. وَالْإِرْتِيَابَ مِنَ الْكُفْرِ Doubting whether Allah will answer your prayers or not is a sign of disbelief. It doesn't mean you're a disbeliever, but it's a sign of disbelief. Never doubt Allah. This is a little bit culturally specific, but they used to have a practice at that time when, when somebody would die, they would almost have like these very dramatic kind of like reenactments and presentations, and they would yell and scream and cry, and they would make a real dramatic show at the time of people's death. The Prophet ﷺ said that is an act of ignorance. We don't do that anymore. The Prophet ﷺ said, engaging in lying and deception, cheating people, that is from the lowest pits of hell. Meaning somebody who engages in lying and deceiving and cheating people will be in the bottom, the lowest pits of hell. May Allah protect us. What he means by that is becoming over-obsessed with poetry. To the point where you ignore and neglect the Qur'an, that is an act of shaitan. The Prophet said, wine, alcohol, intoxicants. That is something that is the mother of all evils. It brings all evil things together. And you think about it, when people get drunk, what happens? All types of terrible things happen. Then the Prophet said, وَالنِّسَاءُ حَبَائِلُ shaitan." Which properly translated means the opposite gender is a trap of the shaitan. And this works both ways. The opposite gender. Now this is again not to create some weird kind of like constant segregation and weird dynamics in the community. But it's just stating a fact. The opposite gender can be a huge trap of the shaitan. And that's why we have the element in our religion of modesty. I was just reading the hadith in the classroom with the students today. Al-haya'u min al-iman. Modesty and decency is a part of our religion. It's a part of faith. The Prophet ﷺ said youth, being young is almost like being, it's, it's like a type of insanity. And what he means by that is when you're young, you have all this energy but you lack wisdom. You haven't figured out the world yet. Now that doesn't make you a bad person, but that does mean that you have to tread very carefully. The worst type of earning is the one that's earned through usury. Usury and interest. What that means is that by preying on the needs of people, by taking advantage of the needy. The worst thing that someone can consume is consuming the wealth of the orphan. 
A truly blessed, fortunate person is someone who learns, learns from others' mistakes. Everybody understand that? A very fortunate, blessed person is someone who learns from the mistakes of others. All right? Doesn't wait, wait to make the mistake themselves. And that's why he said, And a wretched person is someone who has been wretched from the very beginning. Like constantly keeps going back to the same mistakes over and over again. And the Prophet ﷺ said, ultimately everyone will end up in a hole in the ground. And he used the example, he said four yards, four meters. Everyone owns four meters of the earth. That's all you own. Everyone owns a ditch, a hole in the ground. That's it. Because that's where we ultimately all end up. What really matters is the life of the hereafter. The thing that decides how you lived your life is how you end your life. And the worst kind of talk is spreading lies. Everything that is going to happen keeps on coming closer day by day. Cursing a Muslim is sinful. Cursing a Muslim is a sinful thing to do. Murdering a Muslim is an act of disbelief. Backbiting a Muslim is a huge sin. It's a disobedience of Allah. The sanctity of the property of a believer is like the sanctity of their blood. If you would not murder somebody, don't touch their stuff. Don't take their stuff. And someone who says that God will never punish me is a liar. Because you can't guarantee that. We're all accountable to Allah. You don't get to tell Allah what to do. But if you ask Allah for forgiveness, He will forgive you. You, you just have to not be arrogant with God. Just be humble. Ask for forgiveness and He'll forgive you. If you try to live a good life, Allah will allow you to live a good life. If you learn to control your anger, Allah will protect you. And Allah will reward you. Somebody who is patient in the face of injustice, like does not respond to injustice with injustice, but somebody who controls himself when something wrong is done to them, Allah will take care of them. Allah will give them better. And if somebody just wants to be famous and wants to be popular, Allah will make them famous and popular. But if somebody is truly patient, sincerely for the sake of Allah, Allah will multiply their rewards. Somebody who disobeys Allah, Allah will punish them. Allahumma ghfilli wa li ummati. Allahumma ghfilli wa li ummati. Allahumma ghfilli wa li ummati. Then three times the Prophet ﷺ made dua for all of us. He said, Oh Allah, forgive me and forgive my ummah. Forgive me and forgive my ummah. Oh Allah, please forgive me and forgive my ummah. He made dua for us. Three times. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Astaghfirullah li wa lakum. I ask Allah to forgive you, forgive me and to forgive you. He asked forgiveness on all of our behalf. And this was the khutbah the Prophet gave at the place of Tabuk. We'll go ahead and stop here for this particular session, inshallah. And we'll continue on from here about what ended up happening at Tabuk. Did the Roman army ever show up or not? Was there ever a battle or not? What ended up transpiring? Inshallah, we'll talk about it in the following session. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi. Subhanakallahum bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta. Nasakfiruka wa natubu ilayk.